This is The Guardian. Faker others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Manchester United ruin Arsenal's big night out with a late comeback win at the Emirates. Chelsea make light work of Tottenham at a sold-out Stamford Bridge. Meanwhile, stop the press. We have our first draw of the season in the WSL. Rachel Daly bags a hat-trick, not so rare. And Manchester City continue their good run. We'll round up the rest of the week's news, take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Um, Susie Rack, are you okay? No. I thought that might be the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not a great weekend for the Arsenal fan, is it? Like, uh, I think Chelsea are the biggest winners out of uh, the Man United-Arsenal game. But yeah, not that fun to cover as a journalist or as a fan because of the changing nature of the scoreline meant I had to rewrite my intro three times as well as it being negative too. Oh dear, like a triple whammy, a triple whammy of pain. Marva Creel, are you okay? Uh, Yeah, not the best weekend for an Everton fan either, but I'm used to that, so (laughs) probably more so than Susie. Salon Hickman, no game for Dulwich this weekend, so that pretty much makes you the happiest person on the pod, I'm presuming. Uh, I think so. No, we we actually played our reserves in a behind closed doors friendly in the morning. So we did play, but it it wasn't uh, publicised with our Pepper Army involved either. But did you win? That is the question. We did win. Okay, fine. So you are the happiest person on the pod. Um, Now, if Arsenal were looking for a statement match to play at the Emirates, they certainly got it. But unfortunately for them, that result did not come with it. Arsenal 2, Manchester United 3. Ella Toon's first half lead for United cancelled out by goals from Frieda Marnham and Laura Wienroter before Millie Turner and Alessia Russo turned it back around and ended Arsenal's unbeaten WSL run late in the game. Um, Susie, I'm not going to talk to you about Arsenal just yet, but after that Chelsea result a couple of weeks ago, we kind of wrote United's title chances off, which looks to have been a little bit premature on our behalf. Has this one result thrown them right back into contention? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, technically it has in that they're level on points with Arsenal and Chelsea. Oh, well, no, Chelsea are now three ahead, but haven't played a game more. But put it this way, I don't think Arsenal are hard to beat either at the moment, which, yes, United are brilliant. And it spoke to a new resilience to them that I think we've not really seen before. You know, these are games that they would often like sort of tail off in, fall away in the second half significantly not having made the most of their chances in the first half after dominating feels like a very very familiar pattern so it it speaks to a sort of like renewed resilience around that and I thought the away crowd really really played a part in that as well but at the same time I still think we need to see them doing against Chelsea like I still think the biggest winners like I said out of this weekend are Chelsea because I think it's a lot easier to do that against Arsenal who are not as dogged and resilient as say a Chelsea back line is I mean obviously missing a lot of players I think Kim Little was a huge huge miss in the middle like I mean having United dominate possession when you're at home at the Emirates is not not ideal um and I think she's a big 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 miss like the one miss too many almost and yes yeah, I'm criminal defending too but they're in the title race because they're up there but until they do it against Chelsea I think it's not 
quite as clear cut. Yeah, we'll talk about that defence in a minute. But I mean, Manchester United's lead salon was was deserved at half time. I know Arsenal didn't show up, but Manchester United did. Absolutely. I thought from the first whistle, they had a, a bite about them. I think that, that resilient spirit that Susie mentioned, but also they just look so aggressive and on the front foot for everything. I think when you play in a game like that and you realise you're not that team, you think, oh, Jesus, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. And I think you felt that from the Arsenal players maybe in that in that first half. It didn't feel like things were going right for them. It didn't feel like that they could create much or open up United very much. I was quite surprised. I think I actually missed the equaliser because I was still inside at that point. But I heard the roars and I was like, oh, okay, cool. We've got a game on our hands now. And I wasn't expecting the turnaround from from Arsenal so quickly, but it was a bit of a fluky goal, I think. And you, but you need those, right? When you're in games like that, you need you need a goal like that. But yeah, I was I was disappointed with Arsenal, even when they were leading in the second half, I still felt like this United team are not done. And you knew as soon as that equaliser went in that United were like, this is our game to go and win now. And I don't think I felt that from Arsenal at any point. Mm, interesting. Um, Marva, that Manuela Zinsberger error for that first United goal. You could also blame Lotta Rubin-Moy as well, caught ball watching. You know, Susie mentioned there the uh, the terrible defending, but... Arsenal have had to kind of muddle through without Leah Williamson and Raffaele in the last couple of games. But the uncertainty in their defence was very, very obvious in this game. Yeah, completely. I think all three goals could have been dealt with better. And this is a team that I think had conceded once before coming into this game and also hadn't conceded any set pieces. So then to concede two set pieces just goes to show you, you know, what they're missing. But I I did think that United's tactics did play up to that perfectly as well. Um, and not not only kind of taking advantage of the centre-backs, but the way they overloaded the wings massively stood out. I thought Paris had an incredible first half. She maybe drifted off a little bit in the second half, possibly after that yellow card, but I thought she did incredibly. And then I think having Russo as well, who just is able to drop back and allow for the overload in front of her as well just meant that they, the wing backs, you know, you often see Arsenal wing backs getting forward in that first half. They just couldn't because they were so overloaded. And then, yeah, two bad bits of defending from set pieces. And then obviously a really bad goalkeeping error to begin with as well. Although she did kind of make up for it with two incredible saves in the second half, to be fair to her. Yeah. And like the thing that is most criminal for me is that that was the third time that Katie Zellum and Alessia Russo have combined to score against Arsenal from a set piece in a row um and so to have her completely uncontested is like mad uh, Jonas at least owned that in his post-match presser uh, get up he said um it's two uncontested headers and we know they have good service and good target players uh, there's no way somebody should be heading a ball uncontested in our penalty area we can't accept that I'm disappointed with that we need to look at that separately and do better next time blah blah but yeah I mean that sort of says it all doesn't it like <laughs> Three times in a row. Three times in a row. We know the threat from Katie Zellum. We know the threat from Alessia Russo. How can she go unmarked in the box is just beyond me. Uh, for set pieces back to back for both the goals is criminal. Absolutely criminal. Oh, wow. Oh, dear. No team talk from uh, Susie Rack. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, they were better in the second half salon, weren't they? This is the question from Adam, though. Because you mentioned Katie's element and, and fantastic set pieces. 
what more does Katie Zellum have to do to start a game for England, Adam wonders. She's been the best uh, central midfielder in the WSL for well over a year now and is the most creative one by far. Um, I challenge you, Salon Hickman, to um, put a case forward for Katie Zellum to Serena Wiegmann. Oh, yes, that's unfair because I go with Serena. I'm in Serena. We trust, you know, if she if she doesn't believe Katie Zellum's ready, then who am I to tell her that she is? I'm not, you know, but I could see Susie saying when it was read out that Katie Zellum is apparently the best central midfielder in the WSL there was a look of disgust on Susie's face so maybe we should ask her yeah no <laughs> um I like KZM a lot she's her set piece delivery is brilliant but she's not the best central midfielder in the WSL um you know and she's there's no way she's shifting Walsh or Toon or Stanway or um Fran Kirby like for me she's a tier below those players um you know she's a great asset for United she does a job for them um but she's like she's not the star in their midfield you know for me it was Ella Toon and Hayley Ladd that really ran that show she's critical in terms of her set piece delivery for United but that's not necessarily what England need and they've got other people that can take those pieces too a player who's been critical for both England and Arsenal in the past is Beth Mead came off injured right at the end of the game it looked really bad as well Marva Arsenal yet to confirm what the prognosis is. Firstly, what are you hearing? And and secondly, how concerned should we be that Arsenal are picking up so many injuries this early in the season? Yeah, it doesn't look good at all, especially Mead, who's obviously been, you know, their talisman through this. She's just been such an important player for them. Um, Rumours of an ACL, which obviously is going to be the worst thing for them. But it's also just how they line up. I don't know how the the sort of centre-backs you thought, okay, they can get through one or two games and maybe make it through. And they sort of did that as well, including sort of Champions League and mixing about with BT and Robin Moy. But to lose Beth Mead, I I don't know how you really replace that. Obviously, Miedemar's been starting off. So maybe you can then, you know, put her on instead um, and kind of replace those goals if you can. But their lack of attacking depth as well off the bench, I think showed in the United game. United were able to bring on Garcia, who had a, a really strong end to the game. Of course, Iwabuchi was sitting on the bench. I don't know how Arsenal fans feel about that. I thought Iwabuchi had an incredible game um, in the Champions League against Zurich and hasn't been given the chance since. But even so, other than her, their attacking depth right now isn't there on top of a load of injuries as well. So it's not looking too good for them. I thought they could kind of push through those injuries, but those are too many important players now. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting end to the season in terms of squad depth, isn't it? And how that's going to play a part because we are kind of, albeit Chelsea have played an extra game, even Stevens at the top, all the top three having lost one game each this season. Chelsea top of the table and beat Tottenham 3-0 at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Goals from Sam Kerr, Aaron Cuthbert and Guru Wrighton. Um, Susie, in some ways, the Arsenal defeat was probably the best thing that could happen to the league but also to Chelsea, as you have said. But from a neutral's point of view, it makes it much more exciting. And it is going to be a particularly exciting end to the season because of it. Yeah, people keep saying it's really exciting for the league. Um, probably is. Um, although, like, I also think Chelsea having a three-point lead at the top of the table, regardless of whether they have that extra game played or not, they are not going to let that go. You know, they're like, you look at their past 
three or four seasons, the second, the second they moved top, they sort of put a vice-like grip on their position and really like knuckle down and don't let go. Um, it's like extremely rare for them to give up their league from a leading position. So whilst, yes, 18, 18, 21 points with an extra game played is tasty for, you know, statistically in the neutral, like for me, it's completely Chelsea's to lose now. They are just so ruthlessly consistent. I mean, even against Spurs, I, I didn't think they played the best game. Um, I didn't think it was the, the most thrilling Chelsea performance we've seen, but it was just completely efficient, capitalised on the mistakes. And they've been doing that for weeks. Like I don't think we're seeing the like free-flowing, wonderfully technical Chelsea that we saw sort of last season and the season before. I think they're almost sort of searching for that form, the lack of Frank Kirby for much of this season for injury and illness and stuff has impacted that and a few other injuries at the back and things like that have also impacted that. They're not quite got the rhythm that they had. Obviously, they're bringing in Lauren James and uh, Jesse Fleming is starting more and, and, and all of those kind of things are all contributing to them not quite clicking in exactly the way that we saw become accustomed to but they're still getting the job done every single week um and comfortably and that for me is a sign of a team that like just is yeah not gonna not gonna relinquish a little stranglehold on the top there Mm, and Emma Hayes back on the touchline as well that's going to galvanize the team going forward isn't it I'm sure um Ashley Neville Salon pretty unfortunate maybe to concede a penalty it looked like Lauren James had just tripped over her own feet but to be fair, Spurs kind of fell out of the game after the first goal anyway. I think, yeah, Spurs completely capitulated. They couldn't string passes together. They couldn't move through the thirds. They A midfielder would get the ball turned, look up and just pass it to a Chelsea player. And then they'd be like, you know, our arms in the air in frustration. But that just felt like their game the whole way through. But um, yeah, I think if I was Ashley Neville, I'd be absolutely fuming with that. But like you said, it it wouldn't have made much difference to the end result. Lauren James is, I called it in the group chat as soon as it happened. I said it was a dive, but I do retract that because she's obviously kicked herself. So she's going down like, but I think it was the way when she slides, you know, when you do the classic, I'm going to put my hands out and grab the ball to show, you know, ref, what the hell when I'm on the floor. But yeah, Ashley Neville doesn't touch her. Um, it's just unfortunate. It happens in the box and she trips herself. And if there was VAR, that would have been overturned 100%. But it didn't matter in the grand scheme of the games. And I think to the point around Chelsea, Arsenal and United in this title race, when you look at Chelsea, you just think winners. And they've done a lot of work to build that reputation. If it's obviously the, the record that they have, but also the way that they talk, the way that they speak, the characters that they have. Emma Hayes as a manager, you kind of look at them and you, you expect them to win. Arsenal need to have an incredible performance and an incredible season to feel like they're going to win again. You don't think that they have bubbles in the journey or go a few down and then they're going to come back from it because you think, oh, do they have that resilience to win? And that's obviously influenced by the injuries and also the fact that they feel like they're chasing something all the time as well now. And they had this once reputation and they have to try and win. But then United, for me, are like this very exciting, like no one's really looking at us. 
well, no one's really expecting us to win. So we're going to go out there and be the plucky sort of underdog and just absolutely relentlessly go for the win. So I think it's a really exciting title race, but I did predict Arsenal to win the league and I'm probably regretting that now. I don't think that's going to be true. I think it's going to be Chelsea and United, which is super exciting for the league, I think. And it doesn't actually seem that long ago, Marva, that we were talking about Tottenham as potential Champions League candidates. But not so, really. They're, they're kind of getting caught up to by the likes of Aston Villa et al. Yeah, definitely. I've got a, a Spurs fan um, friend and she she feels the same. She's looking around being like, well, Aston Villa are getting a lot better. Everton are getting a lot better. <laughs> there are a lot of teams here that are sort of taking our place now. And also United have run away compared to, to last season com- in comparison to Spurs. So yeah, I thought actually they weren't as bad as I've seen them in bigger games maybe that's a very low bar but I've seen them at the Emirates a few times now and that's been a real capitulation where they just don't even get in the game at all I thought they started the game okay where they were they were getting into the final third they were making some decent passes they were sort of not controlling possession but they had some possession which I haven't seen them do against like Arsenal for example and in all fairness to them as well, they were missing their sort of two number nines really and having to play Naz as a kind of, as a number nine, but obviously she's just more of a false nine really. So I think that did, especially against a team like Chelsea, where you do need someone to just at least hold the ball up for a bit, bring other people in, be a kind of target woman for people to just lob balls into if you need to. Um, and they didn't have that and it just kind of caught up with them. And then, of course, as Salam was saying, just their kind of wayward passing, especially from the back. Capella almost gave the ball away, I think, about five times in, in the area. Um, and so it was kind of, in the end, their own mistakes that cost them, really. Great point on lack of striker. I mean, like, <laughs> you you look at that Tottenham team and that Chelsea team, and you're looking at the gap up top for Spurs and then Beth England sat on the bench for Chelsea or coming off the bench for Chelsea. And you're just like... Why? Why are we in a situation where a player like that, of that quality, who would be playing week in, week out, like Rachel Daly is, and like smashing in the goals and refining their rhythm ahead of a World Cup, sat on the bench at Chelsea with like little chance of getting in that starting eleven, and then you've got a team like Spurs crying out for a player like that, and it's just, I just, it just, I find it so sad that Beth hasn't decided to up sticks and go for match football somewhere. I was going to say, do you think we'll see a loan move potentially soon? Because, you know, we, we talk about how important the squad depth is across the league. And, and this is always where there's going to be this big gap, isn't there? But there are some fantastic players who are going to have short careers and they, they want to make the most of it. That's the problem, isn't it? Because like, for me, at the moment, it looks like Beth England is choosing not to make the most of it. And I get it, like Chelsea is an incredible environment and the the level in training is really, really high, higher than you're going to get anywhere else. And, you know, the people that you're around is going to improve you as a player and all of that. But ultimately, you're a footballer and you need to be playing football. And she's just not playing enough to fight for a place in the World Cup squad. A lone move? I'd love to see it. I would love to see it. I don't think we will, but that's just purely based on the record of, like sticking it out there to date when there's so many players in front of you and when you've come on it's just, she's not shown the best form but that's be- I don't think it's not because she's still not good it's because I think she's very much a confidence player and needs a run of games to 
sort of find that and you're not going to get that in bit part. No, well, she might get an opportunity because Chelsea released a statement confirming Penilla Hard has had an operation on her hamstring. So she's going to be out for the foreseeable future. So that does perhaps open open a little bit of a door. Uh, right, that's all for part one. In part two, we're going to look at the rest of the WSL and the Women's Championship. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Uh, Brighton 3, Liverpool 3. The new look free-scoring Brighton taking a 3-1 lead against Liverpool before late goals from Shanice van der Sanden and Rachel Furness ensured that we got our first draw of the season. I mean, how excited are you all about the first draw of the season? It's become a bit of a theme in this pod. I don't know why. I have no idea. But we've been clamouring for a draw. We've got one. Let's talk Brighton, Susie, because they're all about the entertainment right now. Oh, it was a bit of a thrilling draw, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't a nil-nil bore fest. So, you know, the draw delivered. Um, yeah, Brighton, I mean, it's not a new manager bounce because they've got a, not got a new manager. You know, they've had Amy Romerix step up uh, to take charge. But I don't know, maybe, maybe there was a little bit of uh, a sort of like, I don't know how to say it, but you know, not a not a step back from the players under hope, but just a bit of a, a weariness, um, and that you know, with a change, um, there's a bit of a new lease of life there. Maybe it was a exciting game, um, and really, really shouldn't be kind of giving up a two one was it lead by the sort of you know kind of seventy fifth minute or something. Um, that is a big error. But the fact that they're scoring goals is is nice. So we still don't really know what the managerial situation latest is. We've got Zoe Johnson in charge as managing director and Amy Merrick still in interim charge. So we're not entirely sure whether there's a recruitment process going on for a permanent head coach or whether it's going to be given to Amy Merrick's. Um, Brighton, exciting but disappointed to concede, you know, two late goals really. But Liverpool had been relying on Katie Stengel penalties so far this season. So quite pleased for them and for for Matt Beard to finally see some goals from open play. Can we just talk about the the last minute equaliser? I just love long ball football in a game like that. And you're just thinking, just get the ball at the other end of the pitch. And it's just one long ball, run onto it, cross header. You would be heartbroken if you were Brighton and a defender in that back line at that point to watch those two points slip away. But if you are Liverpool, that is one of the best moments of your season so far, definitely. And it comes from such a simple, get the ball up the other end of the pitch, cross it and stick it in the net. Perfect. And we've seen Van der Sanden do that so many times for Leon. I remember the Champions League final, I want to say 2018, it might have been 2019, I think it was 2018, where she came off the bench and in extra time just pinged in three balls from the right and Leon scored each time and they absolutely bossed it. And then the following year, she started the game and did the same and they were 3-0 up within the first half an hour. Like, it's literally vintage. She needs van der Sanden. So, yeah, like... Again, another like slightly criminal thing not to prepare <laughs> like against, but also she's so, so good at it and has been doing it for such a long time and is so fast. 
and it's just so accurate that yeah wonderful finish but yeah I felt like I was watching Leon in the Champions League final mm, I mean and those kind of points down the bottom of the table are going to be vital come the end of the season Marva yeah completely um you know when they were sort of when it looked like they were slipping away, thought, do we have a bit of a relegation battle on our hands here? Which I kind of wanted anyway, but I think that point um, does help them massively. But I think also, as Susie was saying, Van der Sanden being back is going to be huge for them because I think Liverpool have had that structure in place. We know Matt Beard's an incredible manager. They've just sort of struggled with that bit of quality at the end. And she's someone who can bring that to come on at 3-1 and get a goal and an assist. That's just... They haven't had that in their team yet. Um, as you said, it's just been penalties, really. So I think that's going to play a huge part in the rest of their season and, and ultimately be what helps them survive, really. So much as that will have hurt you, uh, Merva, let's talk about your team, which hurt even more. Everton won Manchester City. Two goals from Julie Blackstad and Bunny Shaw giving Manchester City that 2-1 victory despite Rika Zavecka's headed equaliser in the first half. Look, I know you're an Everton fan, Marva, but it kind of was a game on the balance of it that Manchester City deserved to win. But do you feel your team are moving in the right direction under Brian Sorensen at the moment? Definitely. I mean, again, it might come across as a very low bar to just say at least we didn't get battered. But if you look at our previous results against Man City, we played them, I think, four times last season and lost by a margin of four goals every single time. I think there were three four nils and a 5-1 loss. So... 2-1, I know it's a low bar, but it is definitely an improvement. And I think even in the way that um, we were still in the game, as much as like, Man City dominated us, I can admit that, but to still be within only one goal come 80 minutes, 85 minutes, you've still got a chance if you're if you're doing that against a team, you never know what can happen. And actually at the end, Beaver Jones had a really good chance. Gio had a pretty good chance. And that was just when we kind of, gave up trying to build from the back and play down the wings and actually just two it forward, as Salon said about Liverpool. So when you're in the game, mathematically, then you're always still in the game, even if you haven't been sort of possession-wise and quality-wise. And I think that's where we stepped up this season. Um, there was a 3-0 loss against, you know, United, of course. And it's not that we're, we're not getting battered, but the manner in which we're getting battered <laughs> is improving slightly. And yeah, to, to only kind of be 2-1 against Man City and the way we played, I was I was still quite happy and sort of proud of, of how they, they, yeah, put some things together in that game. I really felt for Ramsey on that Bunny Shaw goal. I think that's a, a very unlucky situation to find yourself in as a keeper. You've gone the right way. You've, you've dived, you've stretched out, the ball's hit the post and then it's hit you and then landed to the feet of the worst person you could possibly want it to land to. And yeah, I thought, I thought Everton were, I don't know, not, not hard done by, but it was quite gutting for them to not have got something out of that game. And I think they were, they were probably really hamstrung by the fact they couldn't have Jess Park play against you know, Man City, which is her parent club and she's on loan from. So I think that was, if you'd have had Jess Park in that game, would there have been a, a moment of brilliance or a late late equaliser from, from Everton? I think that is a problem that we're going to face in the sense of while we can look be positive about this team building and we are building something which is incredible, but we've got three, actually four players on loan um, from bigger clubs who are going to want to go back and not that we're building a whole game around them but of course they're big players for us 
And so you might get to a stage where you're you're building something in the team, and then next season they all go back. And unless you unless the transfers are on point, and we really replace them, then we kind of I don't know might just sort of stagnate again. So we'll see. But for now, I'm I'm still positive. Yeah, and for Bunny Shaw, she's positive as well because she got the extra goal. But Rachel Daly scored three in Aston Villa's 3-1 win over Reading. We'll discuss that in a second. But first, Susie, who's winning the golden boot, Bonnie Shaw or Rachel Daly? <laughs> Samka. <laughs> I did not never, give never you Samka, Samka as an option. <laughs> oh, well, between them, I'm going Bonnie Shaw, but I think it will end up in Samka's pocket because she's inevitable. Anyone else want to jump in on that? Rachel Daly. I'll go, Shaw. All right. Well, this is good for the end of the season because somebody's going to win. And I'm probably going to lose, which is great for Arsenal not even thinking about it because my predictions are so rubbish. Oh, so 3-1 Aston Villa beat Reading, a hat-trick from Rachel Daly. They had to come from behind, though. Lauren Wade giving Reading an early lead, but they were kind of architects of their own downfall really Jacqueline Burns sent off for a foul on Kirsty Hansen so uh, easy points in the end for Aston Villa um question from another Adam actually how many goals do you think Rachel Daly would have so far this season if she'd have signed for Chelsea or Arsenal I think it might be a Beth England situation to be honest she'd probably uh, be sat on the bench and not getting any minutes so I think she's doing the right thing of, of playing for Villa and getting the goals that she has and now as a result starting for England up front um, whether that will happen in the World Cup I don't know but I think I don't know if Serena's going to play her at, at left back anymore so she's she's done what she needs to do. Absolutely uh, right West Ham won Leicester nil the final WSL game uh, we're going to talk about this weekend. Not a classic. I don't think Leicester have been involved in very many classics this season. Sorry. Uh, a late Izzy Atkinson goal gave West Ham that win. Leicester had stayed in the game for so long, so positives to take for sure. But Salon, they obviously made the managerial change, bringing in Willie Kirk, who had been appointed director of football. He obviously was was at Everton previously. Can he do enough to keep Leicester up this season? You don't want to say it's gone at this point in the season. You want to have a bit of hope. But by the fact that there aren't huge amounts of teams in the league, that once you've had a few drubbings and you think, you know, who who's it really going to be between at the bottom of the table? For me, they've played eight. They've lost all of them. <laughs> they're on zero points. Reading are slight ahead of them with three points, but have played seven. I just. I'm not sure. I guess that's only one win, right? And that's Reading to lose and one weekend and Leicester to to win. But I do just think they haven't really looked like scoring many to overturn any of these games. And I think you're, they're going to be on a pretty difficult fixture run, I think. And I think, yeah, at this point, I, I think we all predicted them to go down at the beginning of the season. And uh, Willie Kirk, fair play to him. Have a good go at it. But I think it's probably going to be a season in the championship next year for them. Yeah, a uh, big weekend in the Women's Championship as well. A record crowd of over 11,000 watching Sheffield United. But London City Lionesses spoiled the fun, winning 2-0 to go top of the table. That was because Birmingham City ended Bristol City's unbeaten start with a Jade Pennock goal, giving them a 1-0 win at Ashton Gate. Uh, breaking up the party seemed to be the order of the day, really. Charlton winning 2-1 in their match against Crystal Palace, uh, which was at Selhurst Park. Blackburn and Southampton drew one all, while Lewis FC beat 
Sunderland 1-0 and Durham thrashed Coventry 5-1. Marva, the Women's Championship currently averaging higher attendances than the French top division, which kind of just shows the depth of women's football in this country. Yeah, and of, of course, you know, that Euros win definitely feeds into that, which is amazing to see. And it's so important for the whole structure of, of English women's football to have the lower leagues being a strong pathway into the WSL. I think where we're looking to hopefully, you know, in the next few years, as I think it's been talked about on this pod as well, is, is having, you know, more than one team get relegated. I think at the moment, it's kind of hard to do that because the gap is so big between the WSL and the championship. But I think, you know, the more people that come and watch, the more money that goes into it, you're going to see that improvement and that will help the WSL. That will help the leagues below it. And hopefully it will just keep continuing. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, let's look ahead to this week, shall we? A couple of big Champions League fixtures coming up for Chelsea and Arsenal. Susie, um, are your team going to be able to bounce back from there? WSL loss, they have Juventus away on Thursday, who themselves have been struggling. Yeah, the Joe Montemuro derby, um, <laughs> who is always the loveliest human being and so nice and always nice to see. It's going to be a really, really difficult game. Really, really difficult. I think the injuries are taking their toll. I think the loss of Kim Little is big. I think the confidence of the centre-back pairing might not be the strongest after the dismantling of Man United. Um, yes, Juventus not on the best run themselves, but I am a little worried for Arsenal that they are, like last season, heading into a bad patch around this kind of time of the year. Mm. Salon Real Madrid are the visitors to King's Meadow on Wednesday. Caroline Weir has three WSL goals against Chelsea. Is it going to be her night? I hope so. I'm loving her uh, revival at Real Madrid. It's wonderful to see. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the football that she's playing. I think, yeah, they've, they're have they coming off the back of the drubbing against Barcelona. That's in recent history for them. And I think they'll have a big point to prove and feel like they can really do something over Chelsea. Why is it being played at King's Meadow? Why, why, why is it being played at King's Meadow? I just don't understand it. Emma Hayes said in a press conference, oh yeah, like singing about the you know Stamford Bridge crowd and how good it is and how the players want to play there and that you know maybe there's a potential the audience is there not not for every game but certainly for maybe eight or 12 games a year is what she said and then she said we have to be more ambitious for ourselves and then your next game against Real Madrid is back at Kings Meadow when there are no men's fixtures I don't understand why every single team is not playing in their men's stadiums during the World Cup. I just don't understand why that is not happening. And the fact that Sheffield United, who, you know, are not, they're on a terrible run of form. They've lost four in a row. Like they were, it's not like it was them putting on their showpiece fixture, although it was against uh, a team, you know, kind of fighting for the, uh, the top of the table. It's not a showpiece fixture. They're not a showpiece side to watch and they get 11,000 and break the league records. Like there's a real demand there for people to go and watch these games and with no World Cup, why, 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 why are we not playing them in the big stadiums? Every single one, especially Chelsea, Real Madrid. That's just baffling to me. Especially in a week where Arsenal have come out and said the aim is for us to every women's game to be played at the Emirates. And we're working towards that point. And in the same week where Emma Hayes came out post-match and said, 
what are we doing? Are we moving from small stadiums? We're going to outgrow those a little bit, get a slightly bigger stadium, do a medium stadium and then go to a large stadium. Like it makes more sense to do the jump from small stadiums right to big stadiums, play in the men's ground. You've got the infrastructure already there. We just need to get better technology from a grounds person perspective. That's the main issue here is, and obviously it costs, I'm speaking from experience playing at a very small stadium in South London every week where we share it with our men's team. And the main issues are the pitch quality and ensuring that the pitch is good enough for the men to trot all over it on Saturday and then us to play on it Sunday. And then secondly, it's the cost that it incurs to open up the stadium for that amount of time. I know at Dulwich, you know, it's, it's, it's about three or five grand or something just to open it for our game. So if we're not making that on the gate, then the clubs that are lost to have us play there on a Sunday. Fortunately, we have a men's team that gets 3,000 down and we can get three to 500 down on a Sunday and that'd be okay, but it's still not great business sense. So you have to generate the demand, which I think we're getting to a point in doing, but you, in order to generate the demand, you have to open up the doors and say, we're, we're hosting the game here, come and play. Is that where you could potentially have a double header for Dulwich, for example, because then, you know, w- would that be possible? We did have one scheduled, but it was um, as exactly that reason to get more of the men's fans to watch us afterwards. It was a three o'clock for the men on the Saturday and I was kicking off around six-ish. And the reason it got cancelled was just, I think it was logistical. There, the fact that there was the changing rooms, like there was nowhere for the women to come and change. I was like, I'll get changed in the squash court. Like it does not matter to me. As long as we can get a shower afterwards, we're fine. But it was like the turnaround time of getting the men in, out, and then I was in and out to play. But I think that's, I think there were other reasons as well, but that was the one that I was informed of. And I do think you can overcome those things, particularly in a massive stadium. Like if you're doing a double header, I just imagine grounds people tend to be the people that put their foot down and are like, my job is to make this pitch the best pitch you could possibly play on. Having two games back to back on it will not do that. And there's no amount of technology or nurture that I can do to it to make it better. And I imagine if you spoke to a grounds person, they would be like, it's one of the hardest things to be able to do. Mm, it definitely needs looking at though, because it seems as if there's a lot of talk and, and not always the the action, which gets very frustrating. Um, we've had all the talk and all the action though. That's everything from us this week. Salon, FA Cup weekend for you. You're playing Gillingham women. Good luck. Nervous? Thank you. Nerves haven't settled in yet. I think I'll be quite nervous on Saturday night, but um, more excited. When in your life do you get to go on an FA Cup run and play in the second round proper against the tier three team at home in front of our fans so come down 2 p.m kickoff on the 27th at champion hill um, this time yeah, in I'm, your I'm life, buzzing that's when you get to do it this time exactly exactly we're so lucky we're, we're very lucky to be able to do that so i'm going to enjoy every moment marva any champions league fixtures you're excited about Oh, I mean, yeah, Arsenal-Juventus is, is one for me because just given their injuries right now, I think this will be a big test for them and see if they can go forward with it. Susie, what are you working on? Oh, what am I not working on? Uh, but the Champions League is going to dominate the week for me. That's what I'll be working on. But I'm missing the Chelsea game for a gig, so that's good. Way, what are you going to see? I mean, not good, but, you know, it's good in terms of my own mental health. <laughs> um, uh, Fontaine's DC is a birthday present nice. for my husband. Oh, have a lovely time. Uh, lovely to see you all as always. Lovely to have you all with us as well. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmed.
This is The Guardian. 